Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Backstage Gaming, dramatic takes on your favorite games. I'm Chris. And I'm Dylan. And we're here this week to do what started off in my brain as an excuse for me to talk about a very niche thing. Uh, but as my we were, excuse to talk about a not-so-niche thing. <laughs> yeah, uh, and then as we were discussing the topic, it's like, oh, wait, no, this is a bigger... This has the potential to be a much bigger conversation, so we'll, we'll be giving sort of a, a, an overview and... Don't be surprised if we come back to anything that we talk about this week to do a more in-depth look. Uh, but we're going to be talking about crossovers in video games. And Dylan, what do I, what do I mean by that? Crossover? Well, you see, Chris, a crossover <laughs> is... Um, <laughs> thank you for that. Uh, a crossover is an um, entry that uh, has uh, characters from more than one property. I don't know why this is the one that just popped into my head, but Chris, do you know that there's a couple RPGs for the 3DS called Project Cross Zone? I did that not. Features, uh, <laughs> it features characters from like Namco, Sega, and Capcom, and then maybe a couple other properties as well. I can't believe that in the let's give an example of a crossover game, you jump to that instead of, I don't know, it's, Smash Bros. I know it's the most obscure <laughs> one, but like that's <laughs> like we were talking about crossover and the, the word cross made me think of Project yeah. Pro whatever. Yeah, the, the classic um, crossover game, Blaze Blue Cross Tag Battle. Listen, I mean, like, all right, dude, it's a game where like Dante and Virgil are talking with Leon from Resident Evil 4 and then Mega Man X and Zero are like chilling with, uh, I don't know, fucking Cosmos from Xenosaga. You don't even know what <laughs> that is. Incredible. I barely know what that is. Um, <laughs> but so, yeah, yeah. That, that's the topic this week. We're going to be looking at a few instances of uh, notable crossovers in the world of gaming. And just sort of, like I said, this is going to be kind of an overview episode. There's a couple things we wanted to dive a little deeper on, but again, we, we could do several episodes on this. Uh, one thing that I brought up right in, as our, in our sort of pre-recording discussion that like I now kind of genuinely want to do a whole episode on is the world of like crossovers just for the sake of like the licensing publicity. Notably in recent years, things like Fortnite and how you can play as all of the Street Fighters and also Boba Fett in Fortnite. or in like the slightly further back times, the fact that like Soul Calibur had console exclusive crossover characters where you could get either Darth Vader or Altair or was it Ezio, um, depending on what console you bought uh, Soul Calibur six on or five, fuck, whichever I one it was. Completely forgot about that. It was Ezio, by the way. Yeah. Um, and it was Street Fighter five or uh, Soul Calibur five. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Bonkers stuff like that. Yeah. Man, I oh man, I completely forgot. I remember Darth Vader and Yoda in four. Yep, and then, and then Ezio. I don't remember who the other like console exclusive entry on that one was. Maybe that one was just Ezio all the way down. But I remember Kratos being in a Soul Calibur game, but I don't think it was like I don't think that was the dividing line between Ezio and uh, Kratos. I think Kratos was in a spinoff. Right. Um, Lloyd Irving from Tales of Symphonia was in a Soul Calibur spinoff on the Wii. That was that, wild. That's bonkers. Um, so, okay, this is an episode yeah. on Soul Calibur now because we got to talk <laughs> it about cannot how possibly be an episode on Soul Calibur. No, we got to talk about to Star say. Killer. We got you remember Star Killer? Star Killer was Awakens? in Soul Calibur. He was in Soul Calibur. Hey, Dylan, talk, tell me about Kingdom Hearts. Let's get this. Let's. I'm going to. I'm reaching across the console. I'm grabbing the steering wheel. Well, yeah, in the um, in the crossover with uh, Star Wars Kingdom Hearts Four, no, <laughs> Star Killer shows up. Oh my God, I can't believe Star Killer <laughs> threw Yoda into a, or threw Goofy into a black hole. <laughs> um, the only other thing I was going to say about Soul Calibur, yeah. though, just so I can put a button on that, 
Link, Heihachi, and I think Spawn. <laughs> oh my god. We're, we're in Soul Calibur 2. Hey, Soul that, Calibur, that are you alright? <laughs> uh, like, the Link and the Heihachi parts make sense, because Link was uh, on Nintendo consoles, Heihachi was on uh, <laughs> Sony consoles, but fucking Spawn, Spawn. on Xbox. <laughs> Xbox Xbox struggled to find their identity for a while at the beginning. Xbox continues to struggle to find their identity. Yeah, they had it for a while. They had Halo and they had Binks the Time Sweeper. Classic Binks. of the medium. Binks? Binks the Time Sweeper. Jar Jar Binks the Time Sweeper. Wasn't that his name? It was Blinks. Oh, sorry. <laughs> oh, man, we're five minutes and uh, we're already losing our fucking gold. No, did Microsoft and LucasArts crossover <laughs> Binks the Time Sweeper. Misa Sweep the Time. All right, yeah, sorry, I'll God, wrangle okay. us back Hey, in. Kingdom Hearts. Kingdom Hearts is yes, like Kingdom maybe Hearts. the most famous crossover franchise. Yeah, so uh, Kingdom Hearts is a uh, Disney crossover game series, and that's it. There's nothing else in oh there. Not a single other IP matters to Kingdom Hearts. <laughs> yeah, we, <laughs> we got bitter. a really good energy this episode. Um, <laughs> yeah, so obviously I'm being facetious. Uh, Kingdom Hearts is known for having Final Fantasy characters as well as uh, like Disney, like worlds themed around Disney movies. Um, and in addition to that, there's the World Ends With You characters that show up in uh, one of the games. And that's all cool. So I, I guess it's like to, to talk about my experience as like someone who got into Kingdom Hearts before getting into Final Fantasy. Final Kingdom Hearts got me to pick up the Final Fantasy series, like out of curiosity, not knowing anything about it other than, oh, hey, I recognize this character from Kingdom Hearts on the cover. I did not um, know that about your trajectory into the Final oh, yeah. Fantasy series. Oh, well, we'll be talking about that on a future episode that you pitched to me. Um, oh, very cool. I'm excited. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I, I did pick up Final Fantasy X kind of on the lark because I'd seen people talking about it as well, but the Kingdom Hearts part didn't hurt. I actually, when I picked up Final Fantasy X, I expected it to play like Kingdom Hearts, and then, like, once I got over the initial disappointment, I was like, alright, this is something new, I can get into this. But anyway, uh, yeah, so there's that, and then, like, when Kingdom Hearts 2 came out, uh, I was already, I had already kind of dipped my toes into like two or three of the Final Fantasy games. So like I was actually able to like see and recognize characters from those games. And like part of the fun was seeing how they were reinterpreted for this more cartoony G rated universe. Um, like, you know, the, the Final Fantasy 10 two girls show up as like fairies in Kingdom Hearts 2. Aaron from Final Fantasy 10 shows up as a dead dude. Just like in <laughs> Final Fantasy X. Sorry, spoilers. Um, for a 20-year-old game? Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, we're... Uh, <laughs> it got multiple I think, I think the Statue of Limitations is well and truly passed. <laughs> you would think that, but people still get upset over Final Fantasy VII spoilers, so all bets are off. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, yeah, no. So, like, a lot of the charm of it was, like, you know, as a teenager, it's like, yeah, Kingdom Hearts is kind of kiddy, and... There's something kind of nice about how much it wears its heart on its sleeve, but like the the Final Fantasy characters being there was always kind of like kept it from feeling too saccharine, I guess. Yeah. And it's not like, you know, like edgy or anything. Although I guess you would have a lot of people say that it is, but like it, it really isn't. They're just they were fun characters to have around and like um, it was fun to see how they re were reinterpreted in the story with like new backstories that still kind of fit with like who they were in the uh alternative franchise and uh i guess recently there was a controversy because um in kingdom hearts 3 there weren't any final fantasy characters until uh dlc uh came out for the uh, sephiroth boss fight and then they threw him back in in some cutscenes. and so recently in an interview uh series director tetsuya nomura was talking about how he kind of thought kingdom hearts had outgrown final fantasy and that how it didn't really need those characters anymore because Kingdom Hearts had an expanding uh, cast of its own that um, admittedly is pretty rich um, and like they do kind of fill a lot of the positions that were previously filled in, in by the Final Fantasy characters. But I don't know, man. Um, I think speaking for myself and speaking for like other people I've talked to, uh, 
those Final Fantasy characters really were just kind of Kingdom Hearts characters that were also fun little nods to the other series. And so it feels kind of weird that it's like, well, the series is now too big for them, Um, especially when it's like 90% of these games is still running around in Disney World with like plot kind of happening in between. (laughs) Um, Like reenacting brief periods of of Disney films. Right. And it's it's just kind of like, don't pretend like this is the like most prestigious original story ever. Like there, there's room for it can still be a crossover series. Like I, I would point to King of Fighters as like a series that is a crossover series, but like is known and well regarded for its rich cast of original characters. I would argue that like a solid 60 percent of like the most popular characters in King of Fighters originated from king of fighters yeah you know uh so it's, it's like i think there's there's space for both so this is this is more like a, a conversational thing between me and you chris rather than me presenting anything to the audience but i guess like when you pitch this episode idea i'm like i gotta talk about this a little bit because it yeah, feels weird sure. how people how people are just like final fantasy was never that important to kingdom hearts when it's like that was like a huge part of the appeal for me and, and that's going into like, adolescence I, I, right I'm not, I have played, I've played through Kingdom Hearts 2, I've watched all of Kingdom Hearts 1, uh, I've, I've had very minimal exposure to Kingdom Hearts uh, yeah. 3, or the, most of the uh, expanded Kingdom Hearts universe outside of uh, Chain of Memories, or RE Chain of Memories, mm-hmm. which I really love. Yeah. Um, Based. But, <laughs> but the thing is, like, I don't think that argument of like Kingdom Hearts was never that important or or rather Final Fantasy was never that important to Kingdom Hearts. Kingle Hearts. Kingle Hearts. I'm Chris Kingle Hearts and I'm here to bring you presents for Square Enix Day. Um, Oh, yes, please. I don't think that argument holds water because like were those characters. Is it fair to say that those characters were always playing kind of a secondary or tertiary role in like the overall story sure like yeah at at no point was the story about i i can't remember if he's squall in in final fantasy he's, and leon uh, and is leon in uh kingdom hearts that's it i couldn't remember which yeah. direction that name change went yeah like he plays a role he is he is an important sort of like guidepost character in kingdom hearts one and that's kind of the extent of it so like you easily, you know, if it had never been a, a Final Fantasy crossover, you could have got done away with all those characters, replaced them with original characters, not much would have changed. If Final Fantasy had never been involved, the aesthetic of Kingdom of, of Kingdom Hearts would be dramatically different. Like, yeah. It even if the characters aren't necessarily the most important, like tone-wise, design-wise for the original characters, mm-hmm. overall like scope and feel-wise, there's a lot of Final Fantasy DNA really intrinsically bound up in that series. Yeah, and I, I feel like having the characters there like was a way of wearing that on its yeah. sleeve, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, I think that it's, it is really reductive to try and argue that, like, are they needed? Maybe not. No, is it I don't still- think every Kingdom Hearts game from here on out needs a Final no. Fantasy character. But, but like, like, it's always appreciated, right? Yeah, and it's cool to see. It's an homage to, like, uh, this might be fully apocryphal, but I remember the story that I've heard told is that this series came to be because, like, a Square Enix rep and a Disney rep got to talking at a trade show. Um, and It was actually an elevator pitch. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, they worked in, like, the same office building. Yeah, like, and I, I think that that collaborative thing and the fact that, like, this weird series was born out of just, like, kind of happenstance mm-hmm. is really cool and like i don't know i i even if it's just on like the the sort of meta textual level i think having those characters there is an improvement to the series yeah and i guess it's like also like this is more of a personal nitpick than anything but like they uh sephiroth is a recurring super boss in the kingdom hearts games yeah um and they they kind of set up cloud to be his uh eternal rival and uh, when you when you beat Sephiroth in Kingdom Hearts 2, that entire uh, kind of side plot uh, ends on a cliffhanger, and it's just not resolved. Oh, no! Uh, and that was Kingdom Hearts 2, so that was, like, what, 2005, 2006? Oh, my God. What, Dylan, we're so old. 
Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but like, see, it's funny you say that because I, I was talking to uh, the Happy Console Gamer earlier today and he was like, I'm 48. You guys are fine. <laughs> um, Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> Like, he, he really was there to give us perspective on, like, you guys are fine. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, no, he, uh, Sephiroth, I mean, it just, like, you know, uh, you, you would fight Sephiroth, you would get rewarded of a cool fight scene between Sephiroth and Cloud, and Kingdom Hearts, that was in Kingdom Hearts 1. In Kingdom Hearts 2, they kind of set up a, a plot line behind it, and, like, there's kind of this mystery of, like, who is Tifa, and why is she trying to find Cloud, and, like, what is the past between Cloud and Sephiroth? And when you fight Sephiroth, Cloud and Sephiroth have another duel, and it's cooler than the first fight, and then they disappear. And that's it. No. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I don't know, man. I, I feel like... Maybe it'll come back in Kingdom Hearts 4? There's, I mean, like, so Tetsuya Nomura has said that, like, he he didn't realize how big Final Fantasy was to certain fans of the Kingdom Hearts franchise, and so he is looking for a way to not rectify it, because that makes it sound like he's made, like, a grievous error. Right. I don't think, I don't think their absence is, like, a bad thing, but, sure. like, it certainly is missed. Um, So I think he's trying to, he's considering how he can make that gel a little bit better um rather than simply ignoring it outright um but like yeah like there's something like that and then there's uh stuff like uh in during the credits of kingdom hearts 2 uh leon i guess he's not squall um it's weird because i've been playing final fantasy 8 lately <laughs> um so like i i my brain defaults to squall now Leon gets a letter from uh, what is heavily implied to be Renoa, who is his love interest from Final Fantasy VIII. And so I remember being on Final Fantasy forums back in middle school, and everyone's, like, super excited about Renoa showing up in the next game. Um, and it's like, again, they don't need to be in Kingdom Hearts, because Kingdom Hearts has its own established identity, and it has for a while now, but it that doesn't... I feel like that to to say that, like... You know, it it really seriously diminishes like kind of what the fandom was back in in the like when it was still a novel thing. You know, yeah, yeah. Back when you know people were coming to be Kingdom Hearts fans because of their interest in either Final Fantasy or Disney, and not springing right, in fully like, formed as Kingdom Hearts fans. Right, because it's like as much as I enjoy the the plot of Kingdom Hearts, it was never like the main draw for me you know like i played kingdom hearts because i wanted to fight dudes in tron world or whatever you know (laughs) like um or you know like hey there's this sequence in kingdom hearts 2 where you are fighting alongside every final fantasy character uh that shows up in that game well almost every uh and you know just like little stuff like that is like super cool as both like you know i was kind of a disney kid and then i was very quickly becoming a Final Fantasy teen, like yeah, yeah. I know it's an, so that was sobering. <laughs> is it's a fascinating series because like uh-huh. it is. It started out as such a goofy idea, and it has become self serious. Is maybe the wrong adjective, but like it has it has grown into its own mythos and its own sort of media juggernaut status. That I think, like, looking back at where it began with, like, wouldn't it be fun if is kind of wild to consider. Right. I don't have much much more to add on that. It, it's, it's... Yeah, I, I think I got all my stuff out. Yeah. Um, Do you feel th- better? This has been your public service announcement that, like, be okay with people lamenting a, a series kind of changing its identity. It's yeah. fine. People like Doesn't things they hate for it. different things. Oh, God, I just opened Twitter and Kingdom Hearts is trending. Dylan, we've manifested. <laughs> Oh no! I don't know why. I'm not going to click on it. I don't care. I'm, that much. I'm going to click on it. <laughs> uh, it doesn't appear to be any cohesive thing. I think it's just yeah, yeah. I think it's just a bunch of people talking about Kingdom Hearts. Because well, there, it's there, there Hearts. we go. Case in point, it is a juggernaut. Yeah, yeah. In that it can be um, trending for no good reason. <laughs> <laughs>
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So I want to transition into the, the, the main reason that I brought this up is I had my own thing that I wanted to rant about for a little bit. Yeah, uh, let's go. Which is only half video games. So uh, I've talked before on this show, I am a fan of Magic the Gathering, the trading card game. And Magic, sometime in the last couple of years, uh, started doing a line of products that they call Secret Layers, which are limited release like you have to order them ahead of time bundles of cards usually like between five and ten uh cards will be included in a secret layer and they vary in terms of their what's included but it is typically like cards on a theme so sometimes it'll be cards from the game's history that are being reprinted but they've brought in uh one specific artist to do the art for all of the cards in a particular style uh other times it's like there was a a secret layer they did to raise money for a uh, children's hospital where they had it was three card it was three different cards but you got six copies because one copy of each was a drawing by a a patient at this children's hospital and then the oh. second copy was a one of their professional artists like turning that drawing into a fully rendered magic illustration which was very cool and very cute another handful have been what they've called i think they call them uh universes collide universes connect uh something like that but they're they are crossover magic the gathering products so the first one was i believe a walking dead secret lair where there were a handful of cards where the name of the card the card art was characters from the walking dead and then they did one for stranger things and both of those kind of they both uh were received conflictedly by the magic community some people thought they were cool and other people were like i don't i don't care about this get it off the magic cards and like whatever that's fair don't buy them if you don't want them and then the earlier Chris this the year, meta i know <laughs> well the what they announced uh with the stranger things one which i think is a good thing is they were like we're releasing these they've got like the stranger things characters on them and then at some point in the next like six months we will be releasing a like mechanically identical identical version that is not stranger things flavored so all of these stranger things cards within the last couple months got re-released and they're they're the same in terms of like what they do in the game they just have you know some kind of fantasy name and and illustration instead of being named like uh 11 for example. Chris, if someone plays Hopper in this game, I'm going to commit a hit crime. <laughs> you, you joke, but like, <laughs> that was the level of the discourse at points. Oh, um, God. It's gross. Why can't nerds be normal? <laughs> I, I wish. Um, but <laughs> earlier this year, they announced another uh, Universes Collide secret lair where they were crossing over with Street Fighter. Yes. And... This is the one that got me to buy a secret lair because I took one look at the design of Ryu and how they translated Ryu into a magic card, and I stood up in my chair and applauded and entered my credit card information. <laughs> oh, let's go, These baby. Card I'm design, excited. Like, they clearly found the people who work at Wizards of the Coast in Magic's R&D department who know their shit about fighting games and locked them all in a room to design these cards because all of them are fantastic. <laughs> oh, I and cannot wait. And so what I want to do is I want to go through and like this is going to be more of sort of a case study of looking at like how do you take something from one game and translate it into a completely different game in a way that like maintains the kind of identity of that character or that idea. Because I think that like some of these are stronger than others, but they are all very clever in how they took these Street Fighter characters and turned them into magic cards. So I... What I'm going to do is I'm going to I'm going to give the character and I'm going to ask Dylan to give sort of a brief rundown of just like who they are in, in Street Fighter, what their sort of play style is very mm -hmm. broadly, just very cliff notesy. Uh, and then I'll I'll read through the magic card and tell you why I, I love it so much. So, Dylan, who the, okay. who's Ryu? Uh, Ryu is the main dude uh, in Street Fighter. He is a very stoic, traditional 
Japanese martial artist who um is kind of a vagabond. He uh he travels the world not wearing shoes until Street Fighter Six. They finally uh, gave my boy sandals. Development. Yeah, <laughs> finally gave my boy sandals. Uh, but you know, uh, he just he kind of wanders around and he challenges different fighters to learn the the true meaning of life through combat. Um, I I was about to talk about Evil Ryu, but that's not really that relevant. <laughs> <laughs> the Satsui no Hado. Yeah, uh, <laughs> killing intent. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, he, he has like temptation by the dark side, basically. His his play style is uh what we call a shadow character. Um he is the originator of that term, I I'm pretty sure. Um, he and, is because he practices Shotokan karate. Yes. And so that got shortened into him him and Ken being Shotos, and now Shoto is the the shorthand for like the the base that entire level. play style. Yeah. Yeah. And so what a Shoto character is, is um they are the most well-rounded character in the given roster. They have, uh, they have tools that allow them to basically complement any play style. They're red mages. They're kind of jack-of-all-trades, master of none. Yeah. Um, and so you have... Uh, they have anti-airs. I, I don't know how deep into the weeds I want to get, but like no, but th- they have uh, attacks that uh, will deal with people who are trying to attack them from above. Uh, they have fireballs, so they can attack from a distance, and they have uh, what what would you call the tatsumaki? Uh, I think that's like, th- that's sort of like a, a hurricane a, kick is like the actual like term, but it's yeah. um, it's, I don't know, it's in, something in, to like in gameplay. That's sort of like a combo finisher. It it just sort combo of, it, finisher. It can, it can be can used to, to like close hold in. space, yeah, um, or advance with uh, with aggression. Yeah, I don't know. It, yeah. I'd like to think of a uh, Kai's uh, slide tackle. Yeah, that's a fair that's a fair rundown, and I think that's that's all we really need. So I'm going to send okay. you a card image, and I'm going to start talking through uh, the magic card Ryu World World Warrior. They, I'm not uh, I'm not going to yes. go too in the weeds because there's there's a lot of like magic minutiae I could talk about, but right off the bat, he is a he is a two four. So he's he they built his stat line to be more on the defensive end than the, than the offensive. He has the ability training, which I already love, uh, which mechanically means that if you attack with Ryu and a creature who is stronger than him, Ryu gets buffed. Oh, cool. Which just like fits That's in so, so cool. well with his like character. Because he's he's traveling, trying to learn like in uh, at the end of Street Fighter three in the lore, um, he, he goes to train with Oro, who who defeats him in the tournament uh, to, to train and learn more. So, yeah, oh, that's so his cool. whole thing is he's like the the aesthetic, aesthetic training martial artist. Yeah. Uh, and then he has they, they do a thing in this set that they've done in a couple of other magic sets where they like give they they will have a what is called uh, what in, in magic is known as an activated or a triggered ability, which is just a thing the card can do. Uh, but for these, just for flavor, they have given them names. And so he has an ability that they have given the flavor name, Hadoken. Uh, and for, you can pay some mana and untap Ryu to dis- and discard a card, and he will deal damage equal to his power to any target. There's a few things about this that I want to draw your attention to, Dylan. Uh, yes. One, so in Magic, you tapping a creature can signify either activating an ability or in order to attack with a creature, you need to tap it unless it has some uh, other abilities that I don't think we actually need to get into here. But the tap (laughs) symbol is generally a, uh, it's represented on the card by a little sort of clockwise arrow, an arrow coming up sort of upward diagonally to the right and then curving to head down to signify that you turn the card. Oh my god. Ryu has an untap symbol, which mm-hmm. on the card looks like the fighting game input for a quarter circle for a Hadouken. forward. Oh my which god. is the input you use to do a Hadoken in Street Fighter. <laughs> That's really fucking good. And the other layer on top of this, you have uh-huh. to tap him to attack. So you can attack with Ryu and then to use fighting game terms, special cancel into a Hadoken. Oh my god! <laughs> This is I I legitimately like sat back in my chair when I read this card. I was like, this is absolutely brilliant. That's hype as hell. They they I love managed that so much. to on like multiple levels of like inside knowledge of how fighting games work translate this ability so perfectly onto a magic card. It's that's incredible. It, it is genuinely like one of the coolest little bits of game design I have ever seen in my life. 
yeah that that's that's ryu uh i think that like that's i think for me that is the high mar the high bar of this whole set of cards the others are all very good also but like absolute chef's kiss whoever at wizards of the coast came up with that and put that together it is so fucking cool uh yeah. next one go to ken hey dylan who's ken so Ken is uh, Ryu's rival. They trained under the same uh, martial arts teacher. Um, Ken is uh, a little bit more laid back. He's uh, Japanese American. Um, I can't remember what the official canon is, but uh, for whatever reason, he starts training in Japan with Ryu as a as a teenager, um, and they they grow really close. And so. Uh, Ken, he's uh, he's a, he's more laid back. Uh, he has a wife and child, or maybe not anymore. Uh, Street Fighter Six, <laughs> <Rip> my boy. <laughs> she took the kids, Ryu. <laughs> um, that's up in the air, though. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no. So unlike Ryu, Ken is uh, very grounded. He's very situated. He he lives a very comfortable lifestyle. He's inherited millions. Uh, he's uh, comes from a very rich family. Um, so yeah, he he's like the polar opposite of Ryu, but like they're very good friends. They have a similar play style to to transition over to that. However, um, Ken, his attacks are a little bit faster. Uh, Ryu is more about like letting the enemy try to get to you and then punishing them. Um, Ken Ken's play style is a little bit more aggressive. Uh, his moves kind of reach a little farther. His Hadoukens in some games don't travel as far, so. You uh when you play as Ken, you're really getting up in the enemy's face. Um, but you're still a shadow, so you're not actually like, you know, you still have a balanced playset. Um, it's just someone who picks Ken over Ryu is probably going to be slightly more aggressive. Yeah. So here, uh sending you another card. This is Ken, Burning Brawler. Uh right off the bat. Love that art. He's got a great. fucking, he's <laughs> the American flag in the background. Yep, it's a great art. Uh, right off the bat, <laughs> Ryu is a 2-4 with training. Ken is a 4-2 with prowess, which like okay. right off the bat, just like not even needing to know what training and prowess does tells you so much about these two characters and like mm-hmm. fits really well with the yeah. two of them. Ken also has an ability where you can pay a red or a white mana to give him first strike until end of turn, which means that he will deal his damage in combat before any creature that's blocking him, which is great because the move that they are highlighting with him with his flavor move is the Shoryuken, which is in in most games invincible on startup. Yes. So they're representing that in this ability. And uh, then the Shoryuken ability isn't as, like, masterful as the Hadoken, but when he deals combat damage which you can do first because you're you're using the shoryuken you've got uh startup invincibility with first strike you yeah. can cast a instant or sorcery spell from your hand without paying its cost so he lets you cast spells for free and casting spells with him makes him stronger uh because he has prowess so, so whenever you cast play style holy shit okay yeah it's very good um, it... you have structured this segment in a very interesting way where i say the thing and then you're like yeah and here's why you're right yep here here is an, a representation of that thing in a different game and that's exactly yeah. what i was hoping we'd get to that's excellent i love this yeah so yeah ken again not not as much of like holy shit they did the thing as uh ryu with the hadoken but still very good and i like i like him in comparison with ryu because they are very similar in terms of like what their game piece is on the magic on like if you were putting them in a magic deck but their differences line up with the differences in like their play styles in the games in a way that i think is really cool hey dylan tell me about blanca (laughs) what is there to say about blanca (laughs) um blanca (laughs) see just trying to explain what blanca is is such a, a weird um Blanca was a child who got lost in, I think, a Brazilian rainforest as a child, and he turned into a electricity-casting monster man. Yeah, that's, <laughs> like, accurate. I don't know. Oh, <laughs> uh, who's Ryu? Oh, he's a martial artist. Who's Ken? Oh, his martial artist friend, who's a little bit more laid back. Who's Blanca? I don't he's, know. He's, he's the lightning chupacabra. He's the lightning chup. Yeah. Tell me about, was, tell me he about was Blanca's abandoned as a child, though. and in his ending, he gets reunited with his mother. Now he's Amazing. chilling at Dan Hibiki's dojo. That is Blanca. Fantastic. Tell me about Blanca's gameplay then. 
Uh, Blanca is annoying. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, he can turn. He can turn himself into a ball of electricity and just fucking shoot all over the stage. Um, and then also, like, if you get close to him, he can just turn into electricity, and you hurt yourself trying to hit this dude. Um, yep. you know, Blanca's like, a, a charge character in most games, right? I don't know, dude. I've never played Blanca. <laughs> I'm actually going to look that up because I think... Okay, yeah, the, it, Blanca's specials are charge moves. I thought so, and that, that okay. ties into what I wanted to bring up. So yeah, I'm going to send you this, uh, this card image now. This is Blanca, Ferocious Friend. Uh, also, great <laughs> card art on this one, too. Heroic Man Beast, Blanca. Oh my god, he's killing Dan. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Blanca is a... Is, is, a 5-5, five five, so balanced, but also very big. That's a pretty big stat line for a magic card. Uh, he has haste, which means that he can attack as soon as you put him into play. Uh, he has an ability call that they are calling Rolling Attack, which says that he has trample as long as you've cast three or more spells this turn. This is a play on charge, because to charge in a fighting game, you hold back for a period of time, or down for a period of time on the, oh. on the control stick. And then you flick forward and hit a button, and you will input this charge. So, move. so this is like you are buffering. Yeah, what you're you buffering can do with in uh, casting spells before you go to combat, and then you go to combat, and he does his rolling attack and can just roll right over anything that oh, your opponent so puts cool. in front to block. Which is again very very cool interpretation of that idea. Uh, and then a second key or a uh, flavor texted ability called Electric Thunder, which says whenever Blanca becomes the target of a spell. He gets plus two, plus two until end of turn, so he gets bigger and stronger and deals two damage to each opponent. So if your opponent tries to deal with him or if you have spells to cast that will buff Blanca, Blanca will get even bigger and will shock your opponent as he erupts in lightning. And it's, it's just the way that they are able to like take these fighting game, even fighting game inputs and yeah. translate the idea into, into magic like design. Into like a card playing mentality. Is, is just, um, it's really impressive. I, I continue, like even just reading through these again, I'm really into it. What about Chun-Li? Chun-Li is a Hong Kong uh, police officer. I, th I think she's an Interpol agent. She's not from Hong Kong. She's Chinese. Uh, so she's a Chinese Interpol agent who has a conflict going with the uh, longtime series villain M. Bison who is kind of this megalomaniacal uh, dictator of uh, this Shadaloo organization. That's, that's its own thing. We're not here to talk about them, Bison. <laughs> but, you know, so she, she's an Interpol agent who is pursuing him. Um, she practices, I believe, uh, is it just listed as karate? I don't know. It, I think she's a, she does some, some style of kung fu. I don't know if it's ever kung specified fu, what thank style. You. Uh, it's not karate. I meant to say yeah. kung fu. Yeah, so uh, I guess, like, the cool thing about Chun-Li is that she's kind of versatile. Uh, not in the same way that uh, Ken and Ryu are, uh, but damn, I'm like, and also, like, she changes a surprising amount between the games that I've played her in, at least. Just a, a few of the things Chun-Li can do is, um, I guess for starters, she has this charge move called the Spinning Bird Kick, which is kind of like a Tatsumaki, uh, that uh, a hurricane kick that Ryu and Ken can do, except... She has to charge it, so she has to like kind of squat on the ground for a couple seconds, um, and then tap. You the player has to tap up before she can do it. So it's really meant more uh, as like you you combo into it. Mm -hmm. um, and it's and why, so, as much as I love Chun Li's design, I've never been able to get good at her because oh, I've never dude. put in the time to get so, good with charge characters. Here's the thing: when when you practice like uh hit confirming into a charge move it's like instant serotonin that's why i play oh Leona. i'm sure like i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna put in that time at some point i just haven't done it yet and so uh, when you when you pick up king of fighters brain. 15 chris maybe try <laughs> leona you might be surprised with how much how fun she <laughs> I, is i hate this plinket character that you've been going to today <laughs> i yeah <laughs> Well, at first I was going for Droopy Dog, but now, yeah, that was a little bit more it's, Plinket. It's, it's Plinket as played by Droopy Dog. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, yeah. Uh. Yeah, let me, let me show you uh, the magic card now. Chun-Li, Countless Kicks. Yeah, I was going to say she also has uh, her uh, kicks, which uh, you do by mashing her kick buttons. Yep, and she just kicks uh, forever. She can wall jump. 
Uh, she She's can, very cool. Uh, when you're in the air, she can kind of do like a Scrooge McDuck pogo style kick. Oh, Chun Li's yes. so cool. I'm so excited to play her in six. Yep. She looks so good in six. So Chun Li uh, has an ability called Multi Kicker. That's just what the magic <laughs> rule is called, uh, which means that you can pay additional mana as many times as you want when you cast her. And then when you cast her, you get to essentially stockpile instant cards, spells for, that you've already cast under Chun-Li. And whenever she attacks, you get to copy and cast all of those cards that you've stockpiled. So this is reflecting her, that mash kick that you were just talking about. You can be like, all right, that kick's going to be the spell Lightning Bolt. That one's going to be uh, this pump spell. That one's going to be this thing. And then when you attack with her, you can cast any of those that you need in that moment as she just sends out the flurry of kicks. But again, okay, that was a lot thing, to process. Let me. I'm gonna read the the card description fair. again. The main thing that I just love here is that they gave uh -huh. her an ability called Multi Kicker. Yeah, that's that's very solid. With it, I'm also I'm also trying to remember like what the terminology for uh, each thing is. So exile. That's just fair. Means, yeah, like, this, discarded, this is a right? weird card, even by like magic design rules. But mm -hmm. what uh, she essentially does is you you'd want to play her in a deck with a lot of instants, uh, which yeah. are typically. Uh, removal spells or combat tricks that make your creatures stronger, things like that. Um, card draw spells. And then the benefit is that you, any that you've already cast that are in your graveyard, you get to exile them. And then whenever Chun-Li attacks, you get to cast those spells. You don't get to cast them for free, but they ba she basically serves as like, as long as she's in play and can attack, I have as many copies of this spell that I want. Uh, oh. And you can just kind of value out with that. I see. Wow, Which is okay. cool. Like that's a. I, I I would be interested in building a deck around her. I think she seems like a, a fun character or a fun card to play with. Yeah. Um. But again, they gave her multi kicker. A plus. Well yeah. done, Magic. <laughs> so I don't next? know if that's actually what it's called. Now I I've never actually checked to see what multi kicker's official name is. Maybe it's always been multi kicker, and I just didn't well, know. I don't know if that's what it's called in 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 Street Fighter. I'm saying like that is that is oh, a, that is a, a magic rule. term. That is a magic term. That is a term that exists on other magic guards. And Hilarious. I just love that they, they used it for Chun-Li. Just straight up. <laughs> Next up, uh, Dulcim. Tell me a little bit about Dulcim. Um, I unfortunately don't know much about him, like his personality. I, all I know about him is that he's like a kind of wise yoga master um, who meditates a lot and he can levitate while he meditates. Um, and he, uh, he's got stretchy arms. He's like, yep. <laughs> you got a little Mr. Fantastic action going on. Yeah, I, I also don't know a ton about Dalsim gameplay-wise, uh, but I know enough to know that they did a good job with Dalsim, pliable pacifist. Yeah, that sounds about right. Uh, yeah, Dalsim can, uh, like, breathe fire. Uh, he can he stretches his limbs to keep enemies as far away from him as possible. Um, and this art is fantastic. This art's phenomenal. Uh, Victor Adam Minguez, the artist who did this one, is one of my favorite currently working artists in magic he's yeah, I really, really, love really it. it's, good it's pretty it feels a little bit more impressionist than the uh others i just want to say i love how the uh bangles on his arms are drawn to like oh, yeah show the rate of uh him stretching towards his enemy it's so good so yeah dalsim uh has a keyword ability called reach <laughs> which <laughs> oh in yeah magic terms really in in magic terms means that he can block creatures with flying uh, but I just love that they gave him reach for his stretchiness. Uh, mm -hmm. He has an ability that they have given the flavor name Teleport, which says that he has hexproof unless he's attacking, uh, which means that you your opponent cannot target him with spells, essentially making him harder to hit, which I think fits with his sort of gameplay from what I've seen. Mm -hmm. uh, and whenever a creature you control with reach attacks, you untap it and it can't be blocked by creatures with greater power. So he can... He can kind of get in because his power is only one and he has reach. If he attacks, he untaps so he can be defensive still. You can block with him and he's hard for big things to block, representing that like slippery, flexible kind of stretchy arm nature. Uh, then he has an ability called Fierce Punch. Again, I don't know enough about his gameplay to know if that's the name of one of his moves in Street Fighter. But it says whenever one or more creatures you control deal combat damage to a player, draw a card, which... Because of that first ability he has, makes it, which makes him hard to block, he can frequently draw you cards. That's just a good thing to have on a magic card. Uh, I think Dulcie looks sweet. Again, this one, unfortunately, I don't know as much about, and Dylan doesn't know as much about, but 
I mean, this, my boy this Reach, is all, I think this is all basically what I've seen Dalsim do whenever yeah. I play uh, any game he's in. So yeah. they got that going for it. Yeah, Good, uh, good job giving him Reach. <laughs> exactly. Uh, the only the only reason why like he's kind of lacking in my in my knowledge is because really I I never really played that much of four. Um, I haven't played that much of two. I've played like a decent amount, but no one ever picks Dalsim in my uh, circle of friends. Mm. Um, and was he in five? I don't think. I don't so. know. Yeah, so I haven't. I, I haven't played enough five to to have a solid grasp on everyone who's in the roster. Yeah. What so. about Guile? Tell me about Guile. Man, Guile fucking rules. Let me tell God, you about Guile. His design in 6 looks so good. Oh, uh, man, the fucking goatee is and the overall, The, like, mechanic overalls. Anyway. He looks like he's going to, like, talk shit to libs on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he kind of does. I did see somebody <laughs> I follow in the fighting game community just say, why does Guile look like he's about to call me a slur? <laughs> Anyway, anyway, um, so I'll start with a little fun, little known trivia fact. Uh, Guile is Ken's brother-in-law. Oh, really? Um, I, d I didn't know that. Yeah, that's deep lore. Um, I don't <laughs> I don't remember like where that was confirmed. I think it was like one of the Street Fighter EX games uh, made by that's not important. Um, anyway, uh, Guile <laughs> is a U.S. Army soldier. I believe he's army. Um, he might be Air Force, judge, just judging by the theme. Uh, the, that's also the, a decent. The stage they reveal that they gave him for Street Fighter Six, but whatever. He's U.S. military, um, and he uh, he's very stoic. Um, much like Chun Li, he is also has a personal vendetta against Bison. And Bison killed Chun Li's father. And Bison also killed Guile's mentor and superior officer, uh, Charlie Nash. I was trying to remember what his first name was. If you want uh, to see one of uh, the greatest monologues ever delivered in the yes. history of film, yes. look up Guile's monologue from the Street Fighter film where he's played by Jean-Claude Van Damme and he talks about how he's going to kick, kick ass Bison's so ass. Hard. It's so good and so campy. Anyway. <laughs> uh, you know he was coked out of his mind during oh, the entire absolutely filming of that <laughs> Um, uh, I thought you were going to talk about Raul, uh, Raul Julia's, I mean, Raul Julia's uh, monologue is Bison. Unfortunately, Bison is not, does not get a magic card, which is a crime, but Raul <laughs> Julia, uh, gave an absolutely, like, a crash course on high camp act, villain acting in that uh, he is chewing that scenery. I love he, him it's, so much. It's exquisite. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. Guile. <laughs> um, yeah, got, so, yeah, uh, he's, army officer, uh, fights the bad guy, uh, that's that's more or less Guile's deal. I don't know how much deeper the lore goes there. I, I don't think yeah, we don't need much more deep lore. Uh, this is another slam dunk on a mechanical level, though. Yes. So tell me about. Uh, so let's about talk about that. Um, so Guile is the definitive charge character. Yep. Um, which is to say that he has two special moves. Sonic Boom, which is a fireball that to activate, you need to hold back for like a second, second and a half and then tap forward and press punch um which means that like as guile you're going to play pretty defensively for the most part uh his other uh charge move is a flash kick which uh you do by crouching um holding down to crouch and then flicking the joystick up and hitting an attack button um so what you really do when you're playing as guile is you are backing away from the opponent to launch fireballs at them and then uh but you can also hold your ground by crouching and when they get too close you just hit him with a flash kick. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to send you this card. This is the other one besides Ryu that I think just abs they, they blew it out of the water. Uh, Guile, Sonic Soldier. First of all, his casting this cost is, is one. This art is the raddest. <laughs> it, his casting cost is red, white, blue. Oh, and my a generic God. Man. <laughs> uh, he's a human soldier. And whenever he enters the battlefield or attacks, you put a charge counter on him or remove one. Charge counters are a thing in magic. They are usually used just to, if if something has like limited but re replenishable uses, it will use charge counters. So he enters the battlefield with a charge counter on him. And when you attack, you can either add another one or you can remove a charge counter to use Sonic Boom and have him deal four damage to any target or use Flash Kick, in which point at which point he gains lifelink and indestructible end of, until end of turn, because 
Flash Kick is another DP. It's another invincible on startup move. So it makes him indestructible. Oh my. <laughs> this like your this card is this card design is so good. Oh, I love this. Like so, the, the fact that they gave Guile, who again, as you said, is like the definitive charge character in the Street Fighter games. They gave him charge counters, and they managed to take both of his most iconic special moves and replicate them so perfectly, and then capping it off with making him cost one red, white, and blue. Yeah, that's incredible. So the thing I really like about this is that, like I was saying earlier, like what you're usually going to be doing is you're going to be charging sonic booms to launch at people. And it's only when you're really in any kind of danger of the enemy getting close to you, that's when you use this, uh, the flash kick. The fact that the flash kick gives you invulnerability, like you said, is, uh, ah, oh, that's so good. It's so good. And like, again, the, the, the versatility is like you can, because you do this to, to get into the magic weeds just a little bit, because this ability happens when you attack, it happens in like, in sort of game timeline uh, terms, it happens before your opponent has a chance to choose how they want to block Guile. Mm -hmm. So if you, if they have a creature that's small enough that you can just kill them with the sonic boom, you can do that and make their blocks worse. Or if they have, like, a bunch of big things, you can be like, well, I'm going to attack to get the charge counter, and, like, I'll choose to, you know, knock one off to give indestructible so they can't, like, kill it with blocks and lifelink, so even if they block, you get some benefit, you gain a little bit of life back out of that exchange. Like, really, really great card design. Another one that I'd, I'd be, I think would be fun to put into, uh, mm -hmm. like, a commander deck or something, but... I also just, I have to admit I have to confess real quick, Chris, that when you said indestructible, my my brain indestructible. jumped to <laughs> the theme song of Street Fighter Four, sung by Flo Rida. So good, yeah. It this this card again just knocked it out of the park. What about Zangief? Zangief rules. I hate fighting him, <laughs> but I love him. <laughs> uh, so Zangief is a he's a Russian wrestler. I guess in when Street Fighter 2 came out, he uh, would have been a Soviet wrestler. But um, he, uh, yeah, his, his thing is that uh, he's not really fast. He's like really slow because he's, he's huge. He wrestles bears for, for crying yeah. out loud. Uh, he, he's, uh, he's not quite uh, the, the boxer from Rocky 4 or whatever, but, you know, he's got a similar energy about him. <laughs> And he, uh, yeah, so he, he moves really slow, um, although he does have this kind of cyclone attack where he spins around, and I do believe that gives him invulnerability. So that's what he uses to close in on uh, opposing players. Uh, but basically, if he, if he gets near you, you're dead. <laughs> like, if yeah. he grabs you, you're dead. Because <laughs> yeah, he, uh, he just he is... deals massive damage, but, like, the, the entire difficulty of his game plan is getting up to you first yeah he is the grappler uh of street fighter and uh, this is another one they they really they they did good for zangief in the card department uh this is zangief the red cyclone sending you the card now he is a seven four so he's he's got a lot of power for context that first number is how much damage he deals, uh, and you start a game of magic with 20 life, so Zangief is going to kill you in three turns if he connects on his oh own. Oh my god. Uh, his art <laughs> slaps so good. He's oh, wrestling that, a bear. Oh, he's wrestling a bear. <laughs> uh, so Zangief the Red Cyclone must be blocked if able. So in magic, when you attack with a creature, you are just attacking your opponent, and then they get to choose whether they want to block, how they want to block. Zangief says, no, you're gonna block me. Uh, <laughs> he has an ability that they have called Iron Muscle, which means that as long as it's your turn, he has Indestructible. He cannot be destroyed by damage. So they have to block him, and they can't win that fight. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> and then he has a move called Spinning Pile Driver. Whenever Zangief deals combat damage to a creature... If that creature was dealt excess damage this turn, meaning he, he deals seven damage, so if they block with a creature that only has, you know, four toughness, he's dealing three damage in excess. Uh, so if he, if he deals excess damage to a creature, that creature's controller sacrifices a non-creature, non-land permanent. Meaning, if you block with something scrawny and he hits it, he's, 
the flavor that I'm getting from it is he's picking up that creature and throwing it throwing into it something else you have. Yeah, yeah. So you have to get, you you know, he really says, like, I'm coming in and it's not going to go good for you. <laughs> <laughs> like, you don't have any good options when Zangief attacks you. And I think that that, that it represents how I feel when I play against good Zangief players. That's, you know what, that's fair. <laughs> cannot, cannot argue there. Yeah, and then the last one, uh, we're going a little bit longer than we usually do, but I fucking love these. Uh, the last one is E-Honda, which I think is another one you said you're not as familiar with. I, I but... know the basics of his playstyle, though, so thankfully, like, that's the more important part. But um, E-Honda's a sumo wrestler. I know literally nothing else about him, <laughs> <laughs> like, in terms of story. Uh, but I, uh, I know that uh, E-Honda's whole thing, like, his two moves are uh he has like this thousand palm slap where he um just functionally like he just has a wall of um what what do you call like arm thrusts like they're they're slaps palm strikes palm strikes thank you yeah and uh yeah like they're a very effective defensive option if you if you're up in his face he can just push you back with that um and knock you down and then he also has this kind of flying headbutt where the way it's depicted in the games, uh, due to, you know, it originally being 2D sprite animation um, and abstraction of reality, is uh, he literally just goes straight, like, plank horizontal. Yeah, he's, he's like, he's, it's, like a, it's like a football player spearing someone. <laughs> yeah, um, I like to think of, uh, what's the name of the, the nerdy kid in The Simpsons? Not uh, Millhouse, oh, but uh, like Ralph the, Wiggins? Yes, Ralph Wiggins. If you've ever seen that image of him like breaking through a window, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes. or or a Goku killing uh, evil King Piccolo in Dragon Ball, yeah, uh, that's kind of what E Honda does. It's so good. So, hey, Dylan, here's I think this is another piece of art you're gonna love. It's also by uh, Victor Dominguez, the guy who did the Dulcine piece. Okay, let's see. Uh, it. But this is E Honda Sumo Champion, and the art oh, depicts yes, him in the, the car, car smashing mini game. <laughs> A uh, hundred, hundred hand slapping a car into smithereens, which is so good. Yes, um, he is a Based zero off of the mini seven game for uh, people back home. Yeah, he is a zero seven, so he has no no offensive power, but a real big uh, defensive booty, which mm. fits the sumo wrestler thing. Uh, one of his abilities is called Sumo Spirit, and it reads: As long as it's your turn, each creature assigns combat damage equal to its toughness rather than its power. So on your okay. turn, he's effectively a 7-7 seven, seven <laughs> because he's he's using his defensive power offensively, which I think is a really nice, clever way. Like, there are other cards in Magic that have a similar ability to that, obviously without the little, like, sumo spirit flavor name. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that that's a really good way, like thing to bring in for Yonda. And then he has an ability, a flavor name, 100 Hand Slap. Whenever he attacks, up to 100 target creatures, which... In Magic, you very rarely have that many unless you're, like, winning the game expeditiously. But if so, effectively, any number of creatures that you want. But up to 100 target creatures each get plus zero plus X until end of turn where X is the number of cards in your hand. Ah. So they're representing the open palm. Like, that is, you know, the cards in your hand as you are playing this card game. And he buffs all of your uh, creatures' defenses, which on your turn is their offense also. Yeah. So he just says, everybody, everybody's huge and tanky and get in there and punch them. Again, not one that I, I know enough about to be like as excited about, but I just I, I still think it's a really clever design. And this art just completely rips. Damn, this is really cool. Yeah, I really, this is the yeah. last one uh, we're back at. As I'm scrolling through the gallery, I've come back to Ryu. But I know this was a lot of me rambling and, and talking about Magic the Gathering rules. I hope that was not boring because I genuinely think this is one of the coolest examples of like taking something that like has a very particular mechanical feel. Like if you play fighting games, mm -hmm. you know how it feels to play with these characters. You know how your main feels. There, there is a very like visceral understanding of like the mechanics at play in a fighting game. Mm -hmm. And the degree to which they were able to translate those things into these trading cards really blows me away. I think this is an, an incredible like bit of game design on the part of the people at Wizards. I have no idea uh, in the case of this, like who, what company approached who, and like I don't know if they were having conversations with people at Capcom 
in designing these. Like, I have no idea. I just think that the end result is really, really cool. One other thing on this same topic, we brought up Smash Bros. earlier, but I did want to mm-hmm. shout out if if what I've just been rambling about was interesting, uh, the YouTube channel New Frame Plus, which is a channel about video game animation uh, run by Dan Floyd, formerly of Extra Credits. Uh, he has several videos on Super Smash Brothers and the uh, the translation of characters from their games into Super Smash Brothers from like a game design and, and animation perspective and like how they keep the identity of these characters from all these different games as they're bringing them together into a fighting game. Uh, I just wanted to shout those out because I think those videos are great. And if anything that I've said in the last half hour has been interesting, I think you'll like those too. But I think that's the end of my ramble. Is there anything else you wanted to bring up, Dylan, or are we? shall we wrap up for the day? Um, this is probably going to be a good point to call it. I'm sure we'll yeah. have uh, conversations on other crossover series at another point in oh, time. absolutely. There's, there's um, dozens of them that are worth yeah. diving into uh, with like a more focused lens. So we'll probably come back to this before too long. Also, Chris, um, for what it's worth, I can't speak for the entirety of our audience. I'm sure my dad will have no clue what was said at <laughs> all in this latter half of the episode. Hi, Dad. Hope you're listening. If yeah. not, it's okay. Um, <laughs> but um, I this has actually been like the clearest uh, <laughs> magic has been explained I'm, to me. I'm glad. I was trying really hard to like keep rules minutia out of it as much as possible because it's very mm-hmm. easy to get in the weeds with magic mm-hmm. uh but i didn't want to do that i wanted to talk about like the the very good job they did of making like the surface level design sexually yeah uh but yeah that'll that'll do us for us this week um please if you can think of any examples along the lines of this street fighter collaboration with magic of like cool crossovers where they manage to like nail the mechanic kind of translation let us know on social media. I love, 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 love digging into game design shit like this. Uh, so I would be fascinated to see more of this. And Dylan will tell you how to reach us on social media in just a second. But first, thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope that me rambling wasn't too boring. And if it wasn't and you liked it, please consider leaving a rating or review wherever you're getting it. You can find our podcast on the Apple Podcast Service, on Stitcher, on Spotify, and Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts, really. And uh, make sure if you want to know more about us, you can check out our website, bsgpod.com. There's info about us and the show. There's a contact form if you want to reach out to us directly. All kinds of good stuff. Check that out. What about social media, Dylan? Where can they find us there? Uh, Yeah, if you want to hit us up on social media, you can find us on Facebook and on Twitter, where our handle is at bsg underscore cast. Um, And if you want to talk to us about like any kind of crossover that you like, or maybe you want to tell me that I'm wrong about Kingdom Hearts, (laughs) I invite it. Uh, maybe use that hashtag VSGpod. Uh, do it whenever you whenever won't. you use it. It gives us a little bit of traffic, and we always appreciate it. So yeah, also helps us make sure we see uh the things that are posted. Yes, there. which I would argue is more important. Yeah, um, dramatically. Yes. Um. Also, huge thanks to our friend Brendan French for the key art he has provided our show. If you dig his stuff, you can check him out on his Squarespace at brennan-french.squarespace.com. His name is spelled B-R-E-N-N-E-N-French.squarespace.com. You can also find him on Instagram.com slash Brennan French Arts and on Twitter, where his handle is at Brennan underscore French. You should also go check out our friend BioQuery. He's the musician behind our theme song, Dot Sound Radio, Volume 1, Instrumentality. And if you like our theme song, you should check out the rest of his music. He does a lot of great electronic. You can find that at soundcloud.com slash bioquery. That's soundcloud.com slash B-I-O-Q-U-E-R-Y. Or by searching for BioQuery on Spotify. Thanks, as always, to the HP Video Game Podcast Network for having us on the network. You can find all of their other podcasts about video games by going to Twitter at HPVGPodNetwork. And thank you to our patrons at patreon.com slash bsgpod. It is thanks to you that we were able to make this show without losing money or having to struggle with, you know, things like website fees or anything like that. It means the world to us to have the support that we do. And if you like our show and want to support it in a very direct way, that is about the most direct it gets. So consider heading over to patreon.com slash bsgpod. That'll do it for us for this week. I hope you enjoyed this ramble into magicdom. Uh, and I'll be, we will talk to you again in a couple of weeks. Take care. Goodbye, everyone.
Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold.